Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Mathieu Ball, guitarist of Big Brave from Montreal, a band completed by Tassie on drums and Robin on guitar and vocals. Their new album, Vital, came out yesterday as this is being released. That came out on Southern Lord. What I love about Big Brave's music and this new album as well is that they sound in total servitude to something much bigger than themselves. This isn't about mastery of the, their instruments. This is about pursuance of something that transcends the boundaries between their songs, transcends the boundaries between albums. It's always there. On one level, they make slow, heavy music, but there's a very deliberate intention here, and Mathieu talks about this, to not make band music. That's the feud that I hear at the centre of what they do, this pull of habitual tendencies when you get two guitarists and a drummer in a room together. Band music, as we know it, rock-centric music starts to emerge, and yet there is this mindful peeling away of excess to reach this central fundamental hum that Big Brave is striving for, and this goal is ever-present. It's there across their entire discography, and I absolutely love that. I asked Mathieu at the end of this discussion whether he was a fan of Tony Conrad. I think they have a certain affinity in the harmonies that they strive for, and also the sense that Tony always sounded like he was being sucked towards this aesthetic, this harmonic ideal, beyond almost beyond his control, it felt like. And that's what you hear in Big Brave as well. It's really slow and heavy music, but they're so mindful of not playing riffs in the traditional sense and I absolutely love that. The new record is a stonker, as we say in the UK, or I say anyway. Do many people say that? Don't know. Anyway, you can check out Big Brave's music at bigbrave.ca That's their main website. Bandcamp bigbravesl.bandcamp.com That's where you can hear the new record Vital and if you head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening there is more links related to Mathieu's excellent three picks and links to Big Brave's music as well okay thank you as always for listening for rating and reviewing and for your kind comments it really does mean a lot to get so much lovely feedback about the podcast I hope you're all keeping well this is Mathieu Ball from Big Brave on Crucial Listening Hello, Matt. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So you're here to talk about three important albums. Before we get stuck into talking about those, I want to ask about 
Big Brave's new album, Vital, which is coming out on Southern Lord, in fact, came out yesterday at the time this is released. Um, so my first question is, with A Gaze Among Them, I see that Robin said that you wanted to steer clear of what worked well on previous records and what came easy to you. I'm curious to know whether there's there was a similar kind of conception going into this record. Like, was there anything on your mind when you first went in to write and record this material that kind of framed how you went about it? We definitely talk about the records we want to make a lot before we even start writing them. I'm just trying to figure out the you know, the general vibe we want to, to aim for. But yeah, um, this one, we, we really want to keep it a, as bleak as possible. I think looking back at the gaze among them, both Robin and I found it uh, a little too busy. It's I, I like that record, but it's kind of like a, a, a pop record for mm. us. So this one, we, we had much more time to, to write Vital. So we were really able to uh, to keep going back and paring down whenever things would get too busy. And yeah, just keep it as simple and as, as bleak as possible, which is kind of uh, always what we say we'd like to do but then you get carried away and then you do more and all but so i feel like we we stayed along those guidelines with this one so and was there a reason that bleak was the vibe that you wanted to push for with this one i mean maybe the times in the pandemic but i mean our music is never uh uplifting right so um I think it's just it's just what really we're we're into the most and the music we enjoy the most and it's just really trying to to make something uh along those lines um again it's just like yeah we often i mean you you get carried away when you write music and you keep adding more and so with this one it was just you know, like if it got too busy we would scale back and that was a a main a main constant theme hmm well, I find it really interesting in interviews when you've talked about this a fair bit, this idea of like this mindful intervention that steps in where it sounds like you're kind of rolling with an idea and you're jamming stuff out and then you go back in, I guess, with more of a conscious deliberation to examine what you've done. How long has that process been part of the band and what is it that appeals to you about this idea of exerting that kind of curatorial control over what you've done? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of since the beginning of this band, 2014, or since the first record. But then starting with the second one is really, I mean, it's when you realize that I mean, you could just jam things out and you could have a full record written quite quickly. But, and uh, I think putting more time into it requires that uh, additional effort but yeah it's an it, it's 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 an effort to try to make things sound uh, a touch different not that we're incredibly original but um th that's what interests us and me in in making art is just not uh, i mean uh, an initial idea that'll pop into your head might be good but um constantly refining things is what is the most satisfying for us when it comes to creating art and music. So it's, mm. uh, yeah. Um, this is your first record with Tassie on drums, right? In the recording process. Yeah. 
yeah, I wonder if you could tell me maybe one thing in particular that you really like about Tassie's energy or her approach to her contribution to Big Brave. Yeah, her, it's, it was really great because she toured the whole last record with us, but she didn't play on the, on the album. So it was really mm -hmm. fun to, to write songs together, the three of us. It was really the, the three of us writing this whole thing. Um, Tussie's from a kind of a, a more traditional song kind of a background and her own music is almost, uh, I don't know if I'd say poppy, but it's that it's along those lines. And, but so her approach to drums was very more based in kind of song structure. So it was really fun to see how she would, she would come up with these very minimal parts, but kind of have them evolve very gradually throughout a song. It, it just like, there's a lot of thought put in the, in the structure and mm. how things can evolve, even though it's like, it's still like she stayed like the drumming in B big brave is not uh, ever meant to be complicated, but within that she was able to, to do some very interesting things structurally. And it, uh, I, I love it. I hope we, I mean, at this point we're going to, this, this is the band and we're going to keep going like this. Cause it was, uh, my favorite drumming as to date on a on a big brave record so. amazing yeah the drumming is phenomenal and you work with seth manchester again this is your second record with seth yeah what was different about working with seth this time uh then last time i mean yeah. this one i'm not sure it was that that different we kind of if anything we knew what what to expect um, we're kind of always over-prepared going into the studio, but doing, <laughs> doing the last one with him, we saw that, um, it is, it is fun and great to kind of explore in the studio and, and have that freedom. So with this one, I think we were still very prepared structurally, but we knew that we would be playing around with, uh, kind of added textures and layers some more because we knew that we now knew that we could do that comfortably in the in the studio so yeah we went in knowing we'd do that and i think there's five songs there's a fifth song that we hadn't even written and we knew because of the past experience that it just went so well to kind of come up with stuff on the spot that we wanted at least one song that we were just going to to write in the studio oh, so cool. which one was that yeah it's i think it's the third song um I'm bad with the titles. I've forgotten everything <laughs> already. But it's the one that doesn't have drums. It's kind of the drone yeah. song. Yeah. Nice. So that was this, yeah, setting up amps. And we all kind of just, I mean, we've done a lot of drone performances where they're improvised. So it was along those lines. But um, yeah, we're getting more comfortable with stuff like that. And so it, it, it's fun to approach the studio in that way. Great. And what's the rest of the year looking like for for you? I guess it's all in an uncertainty to a certain extent, but do you have anything penciled in? No, I think there's tentative tours, but I don't I don't believe that they, they will happen, so mm. I'm tentatively going actually to your London show, so Yeah, is that in <laughs> in the fall? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in October, right? Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean the tours have been rebooked so many times now. I'm I'm having a hard time 
keeping track since uh, last April. I feel like mm. there was two tours that were canceled. And then Ricky, our European booker, he's rebooked the canceled tour four times now. So, oh, what? So he's constantly working and th- it, there was potentially we'd be going on a tour right now, but that's obviously not happening. So yeah, fingers mm. crossed for the, the fall, but yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I, I don't have high hopes and uh, at the same time, that's fine. Um, yeah. Take the time that is needed to, uh, to, to deal with this and then safely uh, get back out there. But yeah, I mean, for now it's just uh, releasing an album, not touring and, I guess we'll just start working on another album if we can't uh, play shows again. Yeah, fair. And am I right in thinking, have you got a collaboration with The Body emerging at some point? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, We recorded that right after we recorded our record with Seth. So we finished Vital and then we had a couple days off and then they drove across the country and we made a record with them and then they had like a few more to do in the studio but yeah it was uh we couldn't believe that we because we talked about it for a long time and then we finally did it but we did in this during this crazy pandemic where yeah like yeah they had to drive across the country we crossed the canadian american border that was and still is closed unless you have uh, a valid reason for crossing and making a rock and roll album, I don't think is up there on the list of priorities, but we managed to cross. And so good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was great to just like see people, um, in, a, in all these months where you don't see many friends, but, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So that'll be out in, uh, in the fall. We're kind of just putting the, putting it all together now. Great. Awesome. Well, we should talk about some important records, Matt. So before we get stuck into your specific picks, I like to ask whether there's a way that you thought about the term important when coming up with your list. So was there a particular way that you thought about that word important in order to produce the three albums that you did? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like quite influential and and important how I, in how I see, um, how you can make music or which directions music can take. So, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty much it basically. And I think that, uh, these three records, um, some are from much further, um, much earlier in in my life, but still, I can still see how they've had a, a big impact on, uh, the music I'm trying to make to this day. So that's, yeah, that's how I deem them important. Wicked. Which one do you want to talk about first? I think the go well, chronologically with uh, the ones I yeah, which I listened to first, which is the Rockets Red Glare record. Nice one. Okay, so yeah, give me a bit of a background as to why this one's important to you then. Yeah, they're so they're uh, it, it's not music I listen to anymore. Um, they're kind of a mathy post-rock band. And uh, I mean, when I was younger, I was into, uh, I mean, I still love all these bands, but into Discord Records and and Fugazi and all that. And then um, 
Rockets Red Glare is not a very well-known band at all because they're from they're from Toronto and they broke up uh, I guess twenty years ago at at this point. But like around here, like if you saw them live, like everyone loved them and they were amazing and like uh, an incredible drummer. But they're yeah they're along those lines of yeah like a Discord band. But their approach, I think it was my first kind of uh, encounter with minimalism so I, I think it might be hard to hear but if you're listening to like much busier kind of guitar rock music and then you hear this band um i think it's clear in in comparison that their approach is much more uh minimal and totally. that kind of and that really got me interested in really paring down and the music i used to play um like in my in my 20s with bands was still like quite busy where i mean uh, you do as much as possible and everyone's trying to, <laughs> to prove that they're good at their instruments and all. And then, so this was kind of the beginning of, of like really um, ignoring and forgetting that whole idea and just like starting to appreciate space and um, in music. And so I, yeah, I, I mean, this record, I, yeah, I still, I still love it. I was listening to it a lot um, because of, uh, of this here and I'm, still like a hundred percent into most of it yeah it's an awesome record i'd obviously i'd never heard of this before but i've had a wonderful time with this and do you recall how they came into your orbit how did you first hear about them i think it's just like in yeah montreal ottawa toronto like this part of canada they were like here they were known because they would they would play quite often and so and then I kept hearing like, oh yeah, Rockets Red Glare, you got to check them out. And and when I eventually did, I got the the record before seeing them. I ever saw them live. And even then, I I didn't get it. I did not love it. I'm like, this is too too sparse. Or hmm. um, so it, so it took some time. But yeah, it was just uh, word of mouth that this was a, a great band from not too far away. And you mentioned that everyone was mega into them they saw them live what did they bring live that made them so compelling to people well live was quite yeah they're very kind of precise and concise uh compositions i think the the drummer um gus i forget his last name was quite phenomenal a very very heavy hitter i mean live is a was i mean this like it feels like a lifetime ago but uh like a wood chipper, it would just be like the drumsticks would just be turning into <laughs> sawdust. And so it was kind of, yeah, that, that energy was quite fantastic. And I mean, that's still, yeah, something that we're always after with, uh, with the big brave man, but, uh, yeah, that, and a lot, a lot of space in the guitar playing, even though it's janglier at, at, at moments, um, there's often parts where it's just like just the guitar or just the bass yeah. or there'll be just the drums and so that's yeah that was also something else where you start to like realize that not everyone has to be playing at the same time all of, all of the time it's much more effective when you can take turns and if you're okay to like sit back and not even be playing anything mm. which created conflict in some of the bands i was in at, at the time younger bands where it's just like so hard to get people not to just constant be doing constantly be doing as much as possible. So I obviously left those bands and went and uh, pursued something 
uh, more along the lines of what we're doing now. But, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really struck listening. I think the rhythm section on this record is the thing that's jutted out at me, having listened through it what, twice, three times. Like, um, it's interesting you say the drummer hits hard, but the decision as to when he chooses to hit is sometimes really bizarre in terms of how it frames the grooves that are going on with the guitar. There's a really unusual emphasis when he comes in with a crash or a, you know, yeah. it's it, it's not precise. And I, and I suppose there's like a, there's the decision not to play on a on a macro basis where you're just leaving, you know, a minute of space. But then there's also within like a, a second or a pulse where you're like, I'm just going to leave that one to hang. Yeah. Um, so I thought was wonderful about this record. Yeah, the rhythm section is is amazing, and yeah, the drums are they're very creative too compared to just like not that they're always complicated, but just you can tell that they, he's put a lot of thought into these patterns and how they would evolve throughout a song. And a lot of the songs are kind of based around one part and how you can get from the beginning to the end in an interesting way without without drifting away from the, the main foundation, but yeah, mm -hmm. his, uh, what he would come up with and how he would play with the, with the bass is just really, uh, really great. A lot of, uh, like the bass would only plays when he's hitting the kick yeah. and then guitar on the sim. So there's a lot of like that play, like everything's based. Yeah. I feel like it's all based around the drumming or like the guitars with the snare and, and the cymbals and the basses with the toms and the, and the kick drum and it's like it's this pendulum this back and forth between the low end and kind of the the brighter parts of those uh or palettes of those instruments absolutely i mean you mentioned as well that it affected how you approach playing in the bands that you're in what about your listening i mean did you start to seek different music after hearing this record yeah absolutely um so after this, I mean, um, I don't know if it was this directly, but um, I mean, I started getting into Steve Reich and that kind of stuff. And because oh, I was, in, wow. it, it, because I was into like mathier stuff when I was younger, and then you hear Steve Reich for the first time and you kind of realize that like, oh, these bands have just been kind of emulating this kind <laughs> of like composition, like the early, uh, there's those two early battles EP. I'm like, well, this is this is Steve Reich, but with those instruments. So that really opened up the that that whole world for me. And then if when you get into Steve Reich, then you get into other minimalistic uh, composers. So it was, yeah, it was definitely a a bridge that was made there. When you think back to experiences listening to this record back when you first discovered it, put me there. Like, where are you? Uh, were you listening to it? How old are you? What are we talking? Uh, okay, so if this record came out, in, uh, what year is it? 2001. So I was 16, or my math is not fantastic, but I mean, I'm not, <laughs> or 20. I mean, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still, yeah, very young and um, yeah, early 20s. Uh, got the cd eventually got got the record and uh yeah it's around that time in my life and when you say you were going to play you wanted to play different stuff after hearing this so you left those bands that didn't kind of 
allow you to pursue this direction and you know I, I presume joined others or started new projects I mean what were your initial forays into incorporating this minimalism into your context what did that look like well it didn't happen for a long time because some of like the two main bands I was in in uh, like my late teens early 20s um, when I realized that they weren't into paring down I kind of yeah I, I I mean, for other reasons, bands just end. But, yeah. but then it, it wasn't a few years until um, I didn't actually like get into making this music until many years later. And then kind of when I met Robin and we started this band, it, there was like a good gap between those two periods. Um, mm. I was always searching to, to start this kind of band, like a Rocket regular kind of ripoff band, but I, I could never get it uh, off the ground there were a few attempts. So there's nothing like I, there's no document of, of me trying to do this. And, but it's just like, it, it happened. It, it sent me on this path to try to do it, but uh, yeah, the, the minimalistic approach to the band didn't start until much later when the big brave started. So. Cool. In a way, that's kind of a nice thing to happen in the sense that, I know if I listen to something that completely fires me up, if I was to make a record the next day, it's essentially a carbon <laughs> copy of what I've just heard because it's still, you know, buzzing through me. Yeah. I guess maybe that allowed you to incorporate it in a way which was sort of divorced from its initial context, right? Like extract the bits that truly resonate or can be reapplied in something that is bespoke to you, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, if I would have started the band right after discovering this and wanting to do this, it, it, it would have sounded probably way too much like, like this band. And I have, like, recordings or, like, little ideas I recorded on recorders, and it's, it's way too similar. Right. And it's fine. It's just me kind of experimenting along these lines. But, yeah, but to, to have that much time, I'm like, because, yeah, I mean, it's a great record. It's not stuff like we don't sound anything like this anymore. Like what I took from it is, is the space and the, uh, the interplay between the musicians, but the actual, like, um, the choice of notes and all that, that's not, uh, that's not something I would be interested in anymore. And that kind of like, uh, shouting and all. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And if we were to play a clip of one of the tracks here, do you have a preference? Do you have a favorite on this record? I think is uh, trans trans nation. Yeah, cool. Is a is a great one. Let's go to your second important record. So, which one should we go for now? I guess the second one could be the Harvey Milk record. Yeah, this is much later, 2010, and I had been in this um, in the Big Brave band already by by this point. But it was just like 
it sometimes you just find a record like that perfect record that's the kind of music you want to be making and then you find find a record that someone's like made and you're like oh that's exactly what i want to be doing um so that's like that's this record and it's funny to think about this um and the rockets regular because the rockets i'm just going to go back for a second but they they broke up and i feel that they they would have gotten better and this is always something i thought i'm like oh if they made more records they would have gotten better and i i don't think they would have gotten any better they were great i think what i wanted was was something else yeah so and i think what i wanted from the rockets regular and like records they never made was actually something like rv milk did on this record <laughs> and they're very different records but it's this the space again and the the play between the there are three piece between the guitar the bass and the drums so maybe yeah it's like the harvey harvey milk is like the long lost rockets regular record it's just weirdly <laughs> in my head but like yeah this is just like music that i'm into um still to this day um but yeah it's another great very kind of simple rock record um that uh yeah i discovered much later and i discovered that band also later but that's uh i mean we i listened to this still with robin and we're like oh yeah next record we gotta rip that off (laughs) which is like a solo bass line of consisting of two notes that's just looped for a few minutes and so it's uh has been important and still is um yeah so i'd love to speak to someone who has listened to this record quite a lot as someone who's literally just spent time with it this week like there's something weird about this record and the way that it's structured and something really protrusive that i can't put my finger on what is it do you think that you were hearing in this record that made you go i want a bit of that we should you know we should push in that direction or take that what is it in this record that you think you're connecting with there i mean the flow is quite great it's uh, uh, eight songs but really they all fit together as one so it's it's more like a back to like a steve reich uh album where it's like the music for 18 musicians is kind of divvied up but you know that it's one hour long piece and i think I, I hear that in, in this record, how, um, and that's what I, I really like that from from records uh, more and more when they feel like a very concise piece instead of just a, a bunch of songs thrown together. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't really listen to just one song uh, off this record. Like if I had to pick one, it's like if you just have the one, then you're going to lose so much by not hearing what came before and, and mm-hmm. after. So it's like these bigger kind of compositional pieces. And I kind of hear it as more compositional rock, even though it's very simple, but it's um, the lack of straightforward standard kind of beats is, is something that I'm really interested in as well. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I can't really listen to like proper like band music anymore. It's just, i've I've heard enough it's just like it it, it's hard and i think it's why also like in a big brave record there's no i mean in vital i think there's one part where there's like a 
just like a straightforward drum beat. And it, and even that, like as we did it, we're like, okay, I think okay, we're allowed we're allowed to do it once. <laughs> but the rest of the time, it has to be a bit more of a deconstruction. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's just yeah, going back to kind of just keep refining and thinking about uh, ideas and how you want to present them. Yeah, I was going to say, because this maybe is the thing that is jutting out to me as strange about this record, is that I understand it was written with... Uh, he, he, I saw that he said that he wrote it on a keyboard and decided the intervals he wanted to use and then constructed it within that framework. So I guess, just like you were talking about with kind of jamming habits by having other ideas that don't allow the reflexes to go wherever they want it to go creates these contortions where it's like you can feel those forces in collision with each other um yeah i'm intrigued as to whether or not you have specific means within your band of jamming habit or whether it is literally you just stop and go we're doing too much of that or you know are, are there ways that you try and create different patterns of thinking about the way you're approaching what you're doing i mean more and more it's really it starts off with uh, a rhythmic pattern um it's always more and more it's just either either it it's the drums that do it first or the uh the guitar and often the way we'll find this pattern that we want to elaborate on is by just blocking the strings on, on the neck and then just, you know, strumming real hard with the, with the right hand and kind of mimicking uh, what, what drums would do. And then, so it, it starts from that kind of like, I guess what he did with the keyboard and then from there add. So, but we'll come up with just that no notes in mind and then, the drums will either be added on top or the other way around. And then from there, we'll add um, a little more uh, musicality, not too much, but it's, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that answers the question, but it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's our, our starting point. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I think that's different from 90% of people's experiences. If you've been in bands is that everyone's ogling the guitarist and waiting for them to come up with, something that gives everyone a, you know, a jumping off point. Well, that's true for me anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. That's so interesting that you go completely the other way and in fact choke your guitars <laughs> from making anything tonal to begin with. Yeah, really just to prevent them from making anything that sounds remotely musical and then we're happy. If it sounds <laughs> just like someone banging a sheet of metal... Um, then, then we're happy and we can build from that and then add, <laughs> but, but yeah, ne we never come up with riffs. I mean, there still aren't any riffs. There's a few kind of little single note patterns here and there, but it's just, it's not a, a riff based band. It's really, it's, yeah, it's a uh, percussive and based in the, in the rhythmic patterns. I love that. Um, to return to this Harvey Milk record, is this a band that you've seen live? No, I've never seen them live. Um, they broke up in 2010, and I don't think they ever made it across the border to Canada. So um, 
Yeah, I've never seen them live. I've watched hours and hours of their live shows on YouTube. There are many really great ones. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, I never got the opportunity. So, but yeah, the there's good documentation where you can really you can feel and see how um, how great <laughs> a concert of theirs would have been. So, mm. uh, in fact, I saw was it their Supersonic 2008 was on your like best of for last year. Yeah, that was uh, I guess a, a a long time ago, but then that just came out. So whenever if I can find anything new in the harvey milk world i'll i'll get it yeah and they're funny on that on that album they like they had a phase where they were much more of a, a rock and roll band like stuff that i'm really not into but because i love this band so much like they get a pass i'm like yeah that's fine even though it's like a zz top ripoff or something and <laughs> so it's really funny who you who gets a pass or yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. right if you do it. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all have those. Um, yeah. And th- was this their last record as well? Yeah, it's the last one. Yes. So with Rockets, Red Glare, you mentioned that they came to an end and you're like, oh, they-, they could be making better stuff down the line. So was there a similar sensation when Harvey Milk stopped making records? I don't know. I'm very satisfied with what Harvey Milk did. So nice. um, I'm not sure what else they could have done. I, I mean, I wish they were still a band, but I think they're, they're a bit older also at, at this point. And I think they make music separately now. They're still kind of active musicians, but yeah, no, with this, there's just like this record to me is just like perfect. So like, it's not, uh, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad they did what they did because yeah, I'm in love with it. Nice. And again, when you think back to discovering this record, what kind of memories come to mind of listening to this record in terms of where you are, and yeah, what memories? Um, it's kind of at the beginning of the Big Brave Band too. Another kind of eye-opening experience where you're like, um, okay, let's let's use more space. Um, and let's try to emulate what's going on here as far as i can't recall any um memories really of, uh, of this record in particular because it was like listening to one of the records and then another and another and another so there's just like is this one of the records led to the next and the next so Let's talk about your third and final record then, Matt. Again, if you could give me the name of it. It's uh, Blind Owl Wilson. It's a, a compilation. So he was, the, uh, he was in the Canned Heat band, that, uh, that blues rock band from the 60s and, and 70s. Um, this is a fairly newer compilation. compilation. It, has, uh, it has like the Canned Heat hits the going up the country poor moon and uh on the road again um but it's just like 
with, with I don't love canned heat, but anything that Alan Wilson would do in that band, I'd go crazy for. So it was just like this finding this compilation was so perfect. And there are other Blind Owl Wilson compilations or Alan Wilson, and they just have more of the band stuff. But this one, like, if someone asked me to put together uh, my favorite Alan Wilson songs, like, these would be it. I think there's like oh, 10 wow. songs on here. So, because there's the band stuff, then there's the more pared down stuff. So here's someone else who he died at 27, and you could tell he's probably going to keep making, um, like, for sure, he's going to keep making really interesting music. But on this uh, record, there's the more kind of experimental direction he was going in with the more abstract uh, jams. And so, yeah, this is a, just just per- a perfect listen. Why is he in particular so interesting to you? I mean, the voice is the primary kind of way in. Mm. But uh, mm. so Ken, he is bluesy and the first blues I heard growing up was like white guy blues and ruined uh-huh. it for me. Right. And I, yeah. and then like, I couldn't listen to blues forever. And I'm, it's only like in the last few years when I'm like, okay, no, as with everything, you find out that it's not a white guy who came up with this first thing. <laughs> yeah. The history of, of things. And you're like, okay, this was, this also was stolen mm-hmm. um, yeah. from someone else. But with Alan Wilson, he he played with uh, John Lee Hooker and with other like old blues guys, and they he got like their approval. Mm. So you know that like this this one's okay, and he's like he's there's a direct um, relation between him and these early blues guys, and like this uh, guy Sunhouse, who was like one of the first Delta blues musicians. Alan Wilson played with him at when Sunhouse was much, much older. He was in this white guy blues band, but also like he had a great appreciate appreciation, like a genuine and respectful appreciation for this the genre of music. So through Alan Wilson, then I was able to discover more of the original roots of, of blues and which I've been getting into more and more. And it's, yeah, it's kind of the uh, the gateway. Yeah, with that, I think it was with Sunhouse where I read, you can probably confirm on this, that when he played with him, like Sunhouse was much older and had forgotten, like, all of his songs. And then yeah, that's it. Alan, yeah. like, taught them back to him so he could play them again, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess his... Uh, Sunhouse's attempt at uh, recorded music wasn't very successful. I think it's in the 30s. or And then when he was rediscovered 30 years later, um, he had completely forgotten how to play all his songs. And I don't know how um, they got in touch, but yeah, Alan Wilson was someone who helped him relearn these songs, which is uh, such a, a great story. Yeah. And like Sunhouse is like, I think before Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters. So that's like the absolute like roots of all this um it's Mm. it's great to dive into all of this yeah i can totally see how he's a gateway into that stuff as well because it sounds like that he was like a total scholar right of these early blues artists and yeah you know seemed to kind of go down almost the path of education to begin with 
before yeah. even you know getting really into playing himself yeah and yeah doing it while acknowledging these people instead of you know just ripping them off and never crediting them which a lot of uh bands throughout rock and roll history have done so and this is obviously you know of the three this is an anomaly uh in the sense that you've got two records that i guess are from recent sort of rock adjacent or experimental rock to use a really awful term to group them together history and then you've got this record i mean how did this come into your orbit did someone introduce you to alan wilson or yeah totally someone showed me the uh uh on the road again kind of not, not live video where they're playing on, on the tv show they're obviously kind of lip-syncing but yeah that was my introduction to it and it was someone who's really into very kind of strange and experimental music but then but this this came up and um yeah so it was introduced to me from yeah someone from a kind of a another facet of uh who was interested in different musics than i was at the at the time which was i guess uh quite a few years ago now but yeah and i see yeah it's just like when you listen to this and then you listen to harvey milk and these louder um doomier bands then that's also something that you can very easily see a correlation in that uh they're all just ripping off the blues and they've just got different distortion pedals so it's it's really fun to 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 see and understand where it it all came from and like the reason why like all these bands exist is because of these uh these much older black musicians so there is a yeah where has this led you to in terms of what other musicians have you discovered through your enjoyment of alan wilson i mean there's the uh the fat possum records they discovered a whole bunch of people as well um uh-huh. in the in the 80s 70s or 80s and 90s the uh like junior kimbro and rl burnside are some of the the records they put out and these like specifically i quite enjoy because also they're also very simple um compositions a lot of them just really riff on one chord and build these very repetitive patterns over these one chords so those are kind of the the ones that i've discovered that i'm like really into there's a lot of like other like old blues i like but then these uh what the mississippi hill um Mm. i forget the exact name of the style but like that's one that's just like that speaks to me quite a bit because again, it's just based in simplicity and revolving patterns. So yeah, Kimbrough, I would have put on this list. I think if there was a, a fourth or I, I could have, but anyways, I'm talking about him now. Do you have a favorite track on this Blind Al Wilson record? Uh, I mean, the hits are great, but there's one that's kind of a, it sounds like he's playing mouth harp and it's over kind of a synthy kind of more ambient drone. So that is a really good one, but it's, but then he's still just like, it's getting weirder, but he's still jamming in kind of like blues fundamentals, like the seventh and on, um, which also kind of, yeah, 
has gotten me obsessed. And if I am going to play a, a note in a in a riff, or if there's one note to play that's not the like the uh, the fundamental, it will be the seventh. And I think that <laughs> comes from the the blues, and also just kind of this great natural harmonic. But yeah, that that song is is great, and I think it's. Um, I'd like to believe that it was kind of a an example of what else he, he would have done if he hadn't died at 27. And if he had kept playing, I'm like, I think he would have quit the blues rock band and kind of a little weirder, but who knows? I don't know. Just these made up narratives that I have. Do you have, uh, I know you're not great at titles. Neither am I after the show. Or if you remember now, do you know the name of that song? I'm looking at the album at the back of the record now. So, Okay, it's song three, Nebulosity. I think it's a mouth harp, and it's just like... I, I've seen people like play shows uh, with... Uh, remember a show? Uh, someone who was just using Eurorack. And I'm like, oh, it sounds exactly like this Blind Owl Listen song. It's just like so rich in harmonics. and That's something else I'm kind of obsessed with. But yeah, third song, Nebulosity. Thank you so much for talking about your three important records and Vital as well, and much more besides. It's been great speaking with you. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks so much. And if people want to check out the new record, where's the best place for them to go online? On on Bandcamp. Um, there's only one song up now, but it comes out uh, next week. So it'll it'll all be up there on yeah, Big Brave sl.bandcamp.com Great, well thank you once again and to everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Alright, take care.